You're listening to Understanding Micah, part of our Understanding the Old Testament series, Making the Old Testament Accessible to You. So Micah's message so far from chapters 1 to 3 is one of judgment against Jerusalem's injustice and idolatry. So we saw that Micah is charging the ruling class, sort of these rich land barons or the politicians or the judges, uh, with corruption. They've taken land from the poor and they take bribes and their prophets are speaking lies when they should be speaking the truth of God. So it's a pretty bad situation. Uh, I I was thinking, uh, you know, a a few weeks ago I was sick and I remember thinking, man, being sick with like a cold uh, or a fever or whatever, you know that there's a point where things are going to get worse before they get better. You're going to kind of hit a peak of, you know, feeling crappy during a, during a sickness, and then it slowly starts to get better. Well, this is kind of the shape of the prophecy here. It's going to get worse before it gets better, if you want a summary line of Micah chapter 4. So we're going to hear a note of hope in Micah 4, that judgment, that God's judgment is not going to be final for Israel, but rather it's going to lead to restoration and redemption. And I want you to pay attention as I read Micah 4 about how God describes this hope. This is Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry out loud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There... You shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now, many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. 
So chapter 4 begins with a vision of hope. God will restore Jerusalem once again after his judgment and raise the city to be a beacon of hope to all the nations. And he speaks of how his temple on Mount Zion will be reestablished. And Mount Zion itself, which is an average height mountain, will now tower above all other mountains. And what's going to happen? The law of the Lord The word of God is going to extend outward to the nations. And nations are going to gather to Jerusalem, but this time not to invade, but rather to learn. They're going to want to learn and be discipled by the word of God. Now, this prophecy is nearly identical to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And this tells us that he and Isaiah were contemporaries. They at least somehow communicated with one another and were aware of one another's ministries. And both Isaiah and Micah recognize this pattern. Number one, Israel sins. And then number two, God disciplines Israel for their sin. And number three, God, through that discipline, restores, redeems, and purifies Israel. So there's sin, then discipline, then restoration. That's the pattern. And that's the pattern that this prophecy in Micah chapter 4 takes. Now, why is this significant? Well, God promised Abraham, the forefather of Israel, that his descendants would become a great nation and that through his family, all the families of the world would be blessed. So Israel's nation was created to be a beacon that would bless all the families of the world with the word of the Lord, with the law of God. And here in this vision, We see the fulfillment of that promise. God's word goes out. God draws the nations in and he establishes peace in the world. So if you're looking for how to solve all the wars and how to bring world peace, here it is. The word of the Lord goes out and the power of God brings peace. So this is a stunning vision of peace, especially when you consider all the craziness of human history, right? Swords are going to be turned into farming tools, essentially. And uh, spears will become pruning hooks. And every person will be under their own vine and fig tree. No one's going to be dispossessed. And I think this is a reference back to how in Micah 2, he's condemning people from stealing land from other people. That's not going to happen anymore. And God will reverse Israel's fortunes and secure their future victory over all of their enemies. He's going to make sure that, that they are victorious. And if that's their future hope, Micah's admonition to present Israel, at least Israel in his day, is that they should walk in that confidence. Walk in the name of the Lord. Don't follow what the other nations are doing, because look what God promises you. God knows what he's doing. You don't need to rebel against his law, because ultimately the victory will belong to the Lord. Now, in verse 9, Micah pulls back from this future vision into the present with the word now. So that's a good indicator he's talking about. The present, now, right? Israel cries out because they will one day have no king or counselor. So now it's like, wait a minute. I thought you were just giving us this vision of glory. What's going on? Well, he says, look, in the near future, you're going to be led out of Jerusalem into captivity. But it's not going to be to Assyria, who's knocking on our door right now, but Babylon. Babylon is going to be the nation in which Jerusalem is taken into captivity as judgment for their sins. This is strange because in 2 Kings 19, God spares Jerusalem and he delivers Hezekiah from the Assyrians. 
So why is Babylon mentioned? What is the deal with this? Why is he referring to Babylon when Assyria is the threat in front of them? Well, the answer lies in 2 Kings 20. Okay, so if you ever read 2 Kings, this is towards the end of 2 Kings, Hezekiah, king of Judah, is fresh off his victory. God has essentially delivered him from Sennacherib, defeated Sennacherib, and now Israel's safe. And Hezekiah decides to brag a little bit. He shows off his riches to these envoys, these ambassadors, from a nation called Babylon. And he kind of shows them, look how rich I am, look, the Lord's with us, everything's great, all that stuff. And the prophet Isaiah rebukes Hezekiah. And he says, look, because of your pride and vanity, all of those riches that you showed to those Babylonian envoys, they're going to be shipped off into exile in Babylon. And I love Hezekiah's response where he's like, um, this is going to happen soon. And Isaiah's like, no, it'll be a couple generations. And Hezekiah's like, all right, good. As long as it's not under my watch, I'm good. You can see the state of Hezekiah's uh, heart. And maybe the state of, you know, most people's hearts whenever they come into power. But God is going to discipline Jerusalem because their heart hasn't fully turned back to the Lord. And that's really the story of First and Second Kings. This king was bad. This king was bad. This king was bad. That king was okay, but he ended up bad. That king had a, had a reform, but then the next king kind of ruined it. It's, you know, one step forward, five steps back kind of deal. And God's discipline is coming because he wants them to grow in a different direction. And so he's saying, look, you might be de- delivered this time from Assyria, but next time there's not going to be a deliverance. In fact, it's going to be God's will that you go into Babylon. But here's, the, here's the catch. Micah says that in Babylon, in captivity, that is where God will redeem you from your enemies. That, that God actually is going to purpose the exile for their good. So Israel's enemies, as Micah illustrates, they're going to gloat, at least for the time being, because they're going to see Israel going into exile, and they're going to say, where's your God, and he's let you down, or he's turned against you, or all this stuff, he's abandoned you. But there's hope. There will be a grand reversal one day, and the nations will be put to shame. And all the nations will gather against Israel to defeat them, but they'll find out that they're walking right into a trap. Just like Sennacherib of Assyria gathered his vast armies only to find defeat, so the enemies of God will find their end at the hands of the Lord who rules the whole earth. So this vision of hope, again, he's going forward way into the future. He's saying, this is the restoration, but before that restoration, there's going to be a period period of exile, but don't lose hope in the exile because it's through the exile that God's going to accomplish his purposes for you. It's a fascinating narrative. And you know what it requires? It requires faith. It requires the people of God, the true people of God, trusting that even in discipline, even in difficulties and trials, even when you are paying for the actual consequences of the sins that you have committed, the Lord has restoration for you. And isn't that a portrait of the gospel? Isn't that what the gospel is about? We sin. God disciplines us as Christians. And through that, He restores us. He heals us. He sanctifies us. He grows us up into Christ-likeness. That's the pattern. And it's all the way back in the Old Testament. 
In the next episode, we're going to look at Micah chapter 5, at some of the prophecies he has, not just of a future kingdom, but a future king. And we're going to see a cool connection between Micah and the book of Matthew. Matthew.